This is Pastoring Out Loud, a podcast from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. Learn more at southcities.church. Back for part five of our liturgy series, we have Steve Rindy, mystery man extraordinaire. Hello. Steve, if you were an action hero in a franchise, who would you be most like? Uh, I'm not quick on the draw with that. Ant-Man. Ant-Man? Yeah. Because of your humor? No, because my son's recently got into the Timberwolves and that's Anthony Edwards' nickname. So that was just the first thing on my mind. Uh, That's pretty quick on the draw. That is quick on the draw. I've always thought of you as like a Jeremy Renner Hawkeye guy, personally. Resourceful, you know, kills people with arrows. (laughs) Defends his family. Yeah, defends his family. I like that. That's good. That's good. Good. <clears throat> well, um, that wasn't my random question, but hey, Steve's here with Nick, Dave, me. Guys, how's your house maintenance going? <laughs> Is your house maintenance generally like going well? Any big Steve, how's your house been? Like you've been in the house for a few years now. Anything big crop up that's been kind of, you know, kind of like become like a black hole for you or like your house is sinking into an abyss, you might no, say. No, Nothing like not that. really. Just just little things here and there. Nothing okay. major. Dave, how's your new place in Farmington? It's been great. We've had some things come up, but nothing that Nick and I can't shimmy rig ourselves. You got your oven replaced, or not the oven, but the control board. You got a control board For like a 1970s era oven or something. Yeah, it was an old oven, an old double oven. It would have been very expensive to replace, but for $200, we got the control board fixed and re-put it in ourselves. If you ever have that problem, give me a call and I'll... Point you in a good direction. Old double oven. They we'll don't. That they don't second. make the control boards anymore because since COVID, there's like a shortage on all the chips. So that's why. That's why these repair shops are. It's interesting up. how, you know, when things like that happen, we see where the chips fall. For you, Nick, where oh, what's been going on with your home? It's just hard, Daniel. Your, what's hard? Your humor. No, it's fine. How's your home? Uh, Dave and I just came from fixing my sink. Really? We what? did. Tell me more. Not the sink, actually, the line, the, the drain pipe about 20 feet down the line. It was backing up into the sink, and we snaked it and from the front and couldn't get it. And so then we cut into the line right before it met the main line and mm-hmm. snaked it from the back. A whole bunch of gunk came running out. Oh, Let's just yeah. say that there was a broken hacksaw, a steak knife, and a fixed problem. Yep. <laughs> mm, you guys should found a company. I have, I have a picture. Ha- I have a picture we could put on our Instagram page of Please Nick finishing a cut with a steak knife. Is that the most intense thing that's happened at your home? Most serious thing. Well, Rob actually helped me replace my whole water heater. Hot water oh, heater. Oh, because you had a gas leak. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was probably more serious. Probably, you know. But this Definitely was Definitely more yeah. serious. <laughs> yeah. But this was fun. <laughs> It was fun. We bailed on our morning meeting and had it's fun. like Dave That's and I, cool. on our own, we're a little bit timid to try stuff, but then when we get together for some reason, we're like, let's do it. <laughs> let's cut. Let's just cut it off. House burns down. <laughs> yep. Eventually, it might come back to bite us, but we're like- So far. We're like five out of our last five. Yeah, I know. It's pretty good. It works out. Well, today we're talking about the double oven- of the word and communion mm. in our liturgy. Mm. Two places yep. where God meets his people. It's all baked together. It's good. Um, Why are you always eating? It warms the soul. I'm not always eating, but often <laughs> these things fall right over lunchtime and I don't have other time to 
do that. So you just eat into the microphone. We'll live. So we're talking about the word in communion Sorry. today. Sorry, dear audience. Sorry, dear audience. So we're talking about the word in communion today. Why do we put those two things together, Dave? Instead of doing communion earlier or, uh, well, a couple weeks ago, we did communion and then word kind of in the middle of the service. Yeah. That's not normally what we do. No. Word and communion together. Why? Yeah. The, the idea is to that, that we believe the place we can most clearly and objectively see Jesus, uh, see God reveal himself, see ourselves, see how therefore we're supposed to live and respond and have our hearts formed in shape is in the word. And so we, so our, our view of preaching, right, is we just want to get, we want to get the Bible right and, and say what we think the author meant to say, because then that means we're going to get God right. And then the Holy Spirit's going to have a chance to go to work on hearts. Um, and so then coming out of that view of preaching, it's just a very helpful and natural response, having met Jesus in the word spoken and the word written um, to then meet him in the word pictured in communion and, and kind of a moment of both confession and celebration, which just makes sense, right? I've just heard the word. It's, it's, uh, it's cut uh, through the bone and marrow of my heart. It's revealed whatever it needs to reveal. And now I want to bring that to the foot of the cross, bring that to Jesus. And our view of communion is that there's real fellowship spiritually with Christ as a family at the communion table. And there's real sanctifying grace in that moment that's going to nourish us. And so it's just, it's, it's, and I mean, it's always, and it's been this way for a long time. Uh, uh, the way that Protestants have done it is in response to the word, then we come and we, we meet with Jesus and confess our sins and then move out of that into celebration that the gospel is still true and still real and restoring us. It's kind of a, uh, biblically sanctioned or at least implied by the Bible sanctioned altar call, you might say. Right. Yeah. So we're not doing altar calls like we're at camp, right, Nick? But right, we are calling people forward to, as it were, the altar of communion where we commune with God. Steve, is Jesus really present in communion? Bodily? Is that your question? No. Really is the word that I used. What do you think? Um, Yeah, we are communing with him, Mm -hmm. um, but he's not physically Bodily present. present. So we're different than uh, Roman Catholics and Lutherans in that regard. Roman Catholics believe that the body and blood is actually transfigured before us so that those things elementally become body and blood. Lutherans say that Along with Luther, that Christ is in, above, under, around, through, etc. I can't remember all the other prepositions. Aside. Yeah, something like that. Uh, but Calvin said that Christ is really, but spiritually present. Is that what we believe, Steve? Yes. Okay, that's what you believe. Correct. Even though you're not an elder, you're a member. It's what the elders formally say, but we don't require members to formally sanction that. Although I suppose they probably couldn't be transconfigurationists, if that's the word. Transfigurate, transconfigure, trans- transubstantiation. That's what I meant. Transubstantiation. <laughs> that was hard. Uh, just, just to say that, I mean, the text we go to, too, just to give text behind what we do is First Corinthians 10, you know, 16, 
the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ, which is the word for fellowship? And so we think we really are in spiritual fellowship, communion with Jesus, because the Bible says we are. Yep. Right. And, and so, then right after that, it talks about having fellowship with demons yep. and says you can't have fellowship with one while having fellowship with the other, yep, which right. just strengthens like this is a real yep. communal thing that we're talking about here. So this is not mere memory right. of like, this right. is just something that we're remembering kind of objectively. It doesn't have any specific kind of like way that we commune. So, I mean, in some ways, yeah. it's like the word preached, Yeah. right? Yep. So the word being preached, God is graciously meeting with his people mm -hmm. through the word faithfully preached. God is graciously meeting with his people through the word being dramatized. Yeah, it's like a physical enactment, a yeah. dramatization of meeting with God. Yeah. And so Nick, you said communal. Um, we're communing with God, but what aspect is it with our brother and sisters? Are we communing with them as well as we do it? Yeah, because it's a, it's a thing that you should do when you gather together. And so we are together as one body coming together and meeting with Jesus. I think, I think 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. 29, uh, if you look at 1 Corinthians 10 and the word play going on there at the one body, like we're many members in one body. And then you go to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. it says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, mm -hmm. eats and drinks judgments on himself. I think that means discerning the body, like the corporate gathering that I'm supposed to discern in this moment. Uh, are there, are, is there bitterness? Are there grudges? Is there ugliness here? Is there forgiveness needed? Is there, um, which is one of the warnings we always give every, every week. Mm -hmm. So this is, if this is really a family meal where we're meant to fellowship, yes, with Jesus ourselves, examine ourselves, but also fellowship with one another in Christ as a, as a sign of our unity then we ought to make sure that we're unified um, first. So yeah. I think, and I and I think, and, and I, honestly, in Corinthians, that's really what Paul's going after in chapter eleven is mm -hmm. the rich folks were showing up early and eating and drinking until they were drunk and leaving nothing for the poor day laborers who had to come later. And so he's saying that's not communion. This is a family meal. This is a, <sighs> a uni unity around Christ. This isn't just show up and do your own thing. Yeah. So in a sense, the word sung, the word prayed, the word preached tenderizes us. Hopefully those of us that are perhaps embittered, those of us that are perhaps holding on to sin, those, those that are gathered that don't yet believe in Christ, mm -hmm. we're asking God to graciously do something leading up to a communion moment. So two uh, related questions. Can we bring communion to someone that's unable to gather on a Sunday morning? Is that okay? Yes. Why? You said it was for when we gather. Yeah. And that's what the text says when we gather together. So what kind of... Yep. And we also believe that there's real grace to be had in meeting with Christ in communion. And so... That sounds Roman Catholic. Sanctifying grace, Daniel. Thank you. And so he just did a... That doesn't work on a podcast. He did like a spit take and no one could see it. No, I, I wanted to say something right away. It wasn't a spit take. I wanted to say something right away, but I remembered I had... Water in my mouth. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, it's one of the things where like normal, normatively, it's done when we gather together as a body, right? But if someone physically can't, then I don't think there's any reason <laughs> to prevent us from still taking it to them. And 
there's still you, the, like the person bringing it to them, usually an elder, and the person, which is two people gathered in Jesus' name. So yeah. that means something, right? Yeah. I mean, I would say, yeah, I would, I would say uh, it's great when members of the body can take it to someone like that yeah. rather than someone like just taking it by themselves. At home, you know, like, oh, I can't oh, make yeah. it to church. Yeah, I think because you, I think I, you, I almost think you can't do it. That's right. Like, yeah, by yourself. That's right. But I think we're, I mean, similarly to how God is present in the discipline of his church when two or three are gathered, I think similarly, as we look at this as one of the, one of the ways we're really uh, holding the keys is the communion table. I think similarly when two or three are gathered together in a, spe- a special circumstance like this, God is pleased to be present with them. Um, Question. Does the Bible tell us how we should do it? Um, should we do it all at one time as a gathered body? Or can we do it individually as a body? Do you mean like at like, separate times? Kind of like we do right now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Because um, I just say personally... Um, there's that little bit of tension between um, this is um, a communing between me and God mm-hmm. and um, maybe a confession of sin um, and just a, uh, a communion with him, communing with him um, versus um, communing with the rest of the body and doing the meal together as a body. Um, so I... Well, lay my cards. I prefer the way we're currently doing it um, and find the times of even standing in line to uh, to get the the bread and um, the wine, the juice um, as a time of um, being with each other. Um, and then obviously after taking it, we stand up and we sing with each other. Um, so... That was kind of, I don't know if that was a yeah, question. Yeah, it wasn't a question. It was a comment, but I appreciated that. That was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think Go there's a, no matter how you do it, there's an element of it's a personal reflection time and communing with God. And there's an element where it's as a body and you're discerning the body when you do it. And there's both present and you can emphasize different things in different ways. And I think there's room to do that. And, and certainly it seems to me like the way they probably did it at the original Lord's Supper they're passing around bread and eating it and then passing around a shared cup and eating it probably if they're doing a Passover drinking blessing. Drinking it, yeah. unless yeah. it's really sludgy <laughs> wine. <laughs> Drink, drinking it, passing around the cup, eating it, yeah. It was jello. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wine that comes from Nick's sink. So the, my, point, oh. my point would be that I think the point is being together, celebrating together, not simultaneously taking it together. And so that's a, I mean, it's a great question. That's a question the elders asked is like, man, is it, are, you know, cause, cause we, I think we've all felt a little bit of, oh, it was kind of cool when we all took it at the same time. Um, but I think the elders felt like, you know, it's okay for us to get up and have to be aware of each other and have to walk around each other and have to kind of respond in that way and see each other and then sing together. It felt like it's kind of like what a family meal is like. Um, and so, yeah, I think to Nick's point, I don't, I don't think there's prescriptions for the exact manner in which you carried out in the Bible that we can find there's wisdom calls on what's going to be best. And sometimes I think that can even be for seasons. Why do you think some Protestant churches don't practice communion every week? 
I think one of the biggest reasons I hear cited is that it's just going to turn into a rote routine that minimizes the meaning. You know, you just do something every week and eventually you just do it without thinking. And, you know, it's oftentimes people point to like liturgies and high church, you know, high Protestantism that eventually have just been devoid of any real spiritual power. You know, it's just, you come and you do this and you do it every week and just do it. And so I think that there might be a fear of communion turning into that. Yep. Those are the two things I hear most. It's going to be boring. It's going to get meaningless you do it all the time or you know that you're going to turn into one of those cold dead high church places um and some people and then there's some people i think that just have come out of particular you know like coming out of the catholic church maybe and they just have strong uh, ties to weekly communion or something that makes them just kind of go oh i don't know if i like that um like, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. So th- those would be the two or three things I hear most often. I haven't found, I mean, wh- the one thing I'd say is I haven't, once we've done it every week, had anyone, anyone come back and say, "You're yeah, it actually did get really boring. I just haven't had anyone say that. I've had people say, I look forward to it. You know, it's one of the most meaningful times of the week. I'm not saying someone couldn't say that. I just haven't heard it. And... um I just, my response to becoming high church is, you know, we preach every week, we sing every week, we pray every week. And so to do, you know, to do communion every week just seems like what the church has always done. And if Jesus is spiritually present, because no one argues on that point, if he's spiritually present, um, I mean, no one has argued with me on that point about communion that I've talked to. Um, (laughs) Then My dad argues with me about that point, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, sorry, Nick's dad. Um, then, man, we should do that every week. That's what I say. If they're sanctifi- argue with Nick's dad every week? Yeah, we should no, argue no, with Nick's dad every, yeah, every yeah. week. <laughs> come at me, Nick's dad. Love no, you, I'm dad. Just kidding. We do. We do. <laughs> That's good. That's we do good. love Nick's dad. Well, historically, I mean, the church did practice communion, the Eucharist, every week until the Protestant Reformation. Yep. And then in the split in various directions, some like Calvin Geneva, you know, de-emphasized that. Why? Why do you, I mean, what, what are you guys aware of? Why was that de-emphasized kind of in the first few generations of the Protestant Reformation? Well, I think, I mean, it kind of, at least a small part of it, and maybe even you're thinking of something different, but Calvin and Luther kind of viewed the split from Catholicism a little bit differently in what they wanted to hold on to yep. and reform versus what they just wanted to just let go and totally change. That's right. So Luther's bent was, I don't want to, I want to reform, you know, the mass and just bring it back to the Bible, you know, make sure we're preaching the Bible, make sure everything is scripturally informed, but he didn't want to just throw everything out. Whereas Calvin, I think his bent was, we got to get rid of everything and totally, you know, just change stuff up. And so uh, there's a little bit more of a view in Luther in his circles to, no, we're going to keep things the way that they were. We're just going to make sure we're doing it biblically. I agree. And I think that what's often missed about the Reformation is that one of like the, the issues was communion. Right. So I even think as you read Calvin, you can, (laughs) you can feel 
the pain and you can feel the frustration, <laughs> the heat the, coming off the page. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and so I think there's, a, I think that there's a, maybe Probably especially in the original French yeah. or Latin or whatever. I think there's some reactionariness to it too. Like we're just going to be done with all that. And that was one of the central issues that really the, ref, the, the reformers were on all the time about what's really happening at communion. And I think that's even why, you know, there was even a little bit further down the line, more questions of, is this just a memorial? Are we just remembering or is there real grace? Because again, just for fear of, well, this could turn into like salvific grace, which is what justifying. We, grace. Yeah. It's justifying grace. Right. Yep. Um, yep. And so again, just where it came from, the abuses of the Catholic church led to some of the reactions against it. Yeah. And that I, where there were abuses, it seemed Calvin was more like, let's tear this down and rebuild it um, versus let's just modify it. Yeah. yeah. Like and that was true for a lot of different points of, you know, the mass and things that were happening, you know. Hashtag regulative principle. Absolutely. We, are, we already have a principle. We have a podcast we did a while ago on that. You can go dig that up if you want to hear it. Yeah. Good. Anything else about the word and communion, how they interact? Like, Kind of a kind of the center point, maybe perhaps a bit too strong to say the center point, but certainly more the culmination of our our uh, Sunday morning liturgy. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and I mean, I think I think I mean you pray this way often. Um, I don't know if people catch it, but I, I appreciate that the way we talk about it is like the word sung, the word prayed, you know, the word spoken, the word written, the word pictured. Really, we we want it all to be the word Jesus seen in his word in all these various expressions. So I think that's how they, how we hope they tie together and how they hang together. And then even how the liturgy is put together is mm. by what we see in the word. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you'd say about appreciating communion, communing with Christ, personal reflections, anything along those lines? Got anything, Steve? Thinking. You can go. I mean, I don't think any more than I've already said. <clears throat> I really appreciate it weekly. I appreciate the tripartite fencing. Yeah. We do that every week. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was not always mm-hmm. the case. Just kind of, you know, whatever else we might say about rote, et cetera, just holding that same thing. This is what this is. This is who it's for. This is who it's not for. Mm-hmm. Helps me assess every week along the same lines. It almost creates like a baseline of like, How's my heart? Yeah. Instead of every week is perhaps here's a new thing to assess my heart with on the basis of maybe what somebody preached or whoever's, you know, fencing the table. But it's just like, this is the three ways to assess your heart. And I think for me, it's um, a physical reminder. Um, Again, not to say Christ is physically present, but for from my end, it's a physical reminder um, of my communing with God. Yeah. And maybe I'll just give a, a quick testimony to just, I think that I've, I've heard since we started doing weekly communion from a lot of people, the, the usefulness of it in, to your point, Daniel, just a, a weekly testing and examining of their heart in maybe a more intentional way than they're used to, which has actually led them to more regular examination during the week. Uh, and um, 
I think has, and I don't exactly want to say this, but because we say every week it's a family meal, I think has really strengthened that in people's mind to go, huh, do I have something here in this family that needs to be made right? And it's not, I don't think it's something that took root right away, but it was like three, six months down the line, people starting to come and, and just ask questions about that. And I think that's to your point of, you know, a lot of times we plan these things and it's just the regular steady rhythm of doing what the Bible says to do that provokes what the Bible says it will provoke and bears the fruit the Bible says it will bear, you know? So just kind of trusting those patterns and walking huh. towards it. Kind of like it's designed that way. And I think the the doing it weekly and the fencing of the table for um, the potential of um, somebody who isn't in the body of Christ visiting, they see something that is different, that is for the family. Yeah. Um, which if you don't do it weekly you could have somebody drop in and they don't see that. Yeah. Not yeah. to say that's yep. the reason that you do it weekly, but I think it's just kind of the byproduct of it. Yeah. It is, it is. Guys, thanks for joining me today. <laughs>